Welcome to the City Reach Baptist Podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Cool. Well, my name's Carl. I'm one of the pastors here. We love God's Word, love the Bible. So why don't you open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians? If you don't have a Bible with you, you'll find a Bible in the pew around you, so you can just rip that one out of there, or you can put it up on your phone. We're going to be in Galatians 3, um, verses about 25 and onwards. It's on page 974 of the Pew Bible, or in your Bible if you go to Kurong and buy a Pew Bible, which is what I did. And so it always lines up. Um, so we'll be on page 974. Um, I wonder if you've ever had that moment in your life where you um, believe something for so many years and then after so many years, you realise that the thing that you believe was actually a lie. So maybe someone told you it when you were super young, uh, you believed on it and you kept it quiet, like you never really said it publicly because there was no need to and then eventually it came out later that the thing that you always believed turned out to be a lie. Well, I was one of those gullible teenagers, right? One of those gullible kids where if you told me anything, I was one of those kids that was prone to believe it. So these were some of the things that I believed when I was a little kid. I believed that up until the age of 10, I thought that dogs were boys and cats were girls. Anyone else believe that? Anyone else with me? Anyone else here tonight? You can lie. That's all right. This is what I also believed. I believed, um, I thought that if you peed in the pool, it turns a different color. Has Has anyone ever believed that? Yeah, cool. That's a lie. That's a lie. You can feel comfortable to do whatever you want with that piece of information. (laughs) For years, I thought that the word vivid meant overly vague. Vivid actually means incredibly detailed. I found this out when I was 28 years old, right? There's lots of different things that people come to believe. This is another lie that um, I believed. I'm just being honest now. I'm just being vulnerable. Up until the age of 13 years old, I thought that there was a number of times, just being vulnerable, that you were illegally allowed to have sex, and if you had sex too many times, the government gave you an STD. Up until the age of 13, I believed that, until I was in sex ed class and said it out loud in front of everybody else and got corrected. I also believed the lie. My dad told me this, and I think that he thought he was being truthful at the time. He told me that petrol would never get over a dollar per litre. That has turned out to be a lie. I wonder if you've believed any of these before, that eating a seed from a piece of fruit will make that fruit grow inside of you. I don't know if you've ever believed that before. Brown cows give chocolate milk and white cows give regular milk. I don't know if you're a little kid has ever believed those. Um, Teachers live at school and sleep in their classrooms overnight. I don't know if you've ever believed stuff like that. People believe a lot of harmless stuff, right? Most of what I just described there is harmless. What often happens, though, as we engage in life, we get a little bit older, we do get told things that have more of an impact, things that aren't harmless, but things that are altogether damning, challenging, and actually rip the joy out of our life that God has set aside for us. Here's a few that are easy to spot. Your true value is found in how good-looking you are. Praise the Lord, that's not true. You're not a success if you're not famous. If you don't know who you really are, go to Europe and you'll find yourself there. Your beliefs are wrong if they, don't, if they don't universally accept every other belief. Don't regret the past uh, if it, because it made you who you are. That lie is telling you 
not to apologize for anything you may have done. Well, here's a harder one to, a harder one to spot. Money can no longer bring you happiness, uh, happiness, but a list of experiences can. So that's an interesting lie, right? Because it's a half-truth. And money can't buy you happiness, but then you need to uncover that the solution, that the answer is actually not going to bring you any joy either. So tonight we launch into a new series that we're calling Playlist Propaganda. And it's the idea that all, all through life, as we listen to Spotify or on YouTube, we're listening to these songs, and these songs aren't neutral, they're actually selling a message. They're trying to teach us a cultural narrative about the way that life operates and the way that culture operates. And it's so often in these popular songs that we listen to all the time, there's a deeper message that is actually robbing you of the joy that God has set aside for you. So we are doing this series, Playlist Propaganda, because your favorite song is selling more than just a beat. So here's our first song. Because licensing is the biggest nightmare in my life, um, we're not going to play it for you, but we are going to play it for you. So see if you can remember this song. LA on a Saturday night in the summer, sundown and they all come out. Lamborghinis in their rented hummus The party's on so they're heading downtown And everybody's looking for the come out And they want to know what you're about Me in the middle with the one I'm loving We're just trying to figure everything out We don't fit in well Cause we are just ourselves I could use some help Getting out of this conversation You look stunning, dear So don't ask that question here This is my only fear That we become beautiful people Dropped up a designer clothes Front road fashion shows What do you do and who do you know? It's inside the world Beautiful people Champagne and rolled up notes Bring up some broken homes Surrounded but still alone Let's leave the park That's not who we are We are, we are, we are We're not beautiful yeah, That's not who we are We are, we are, we are We're not beautiful Come on now, give them a round of applause. I messaged, uh, messaged Jason on Saturday and asked if he would play that song and he learned an Ed Sheeran song, led worship in three services today, so give him a pat on the back when you see him later on. <laughs> Doing a good thing. Does anyone know that Ed Sheeran song? Does anyone know that song came out about three months ago? I love Ed Sheeran, huge fan. And that song is out of control popular at the moment. That song on YouTube has been listened to 150 million times. That song on Spotify has been played over 370 million times, right? I love Ed Sheeran's song. This, is, this next four weeks is not bashing musical artists, right? That's not the purpose of, um, of this series. There are a lot of profoundly good messages in that song. There's, I love some things about it. The central message of beautiful people is that you don't need to find your sense of belonging with the popular crowd. That's what the song's about. He speaks, uh, in, in what we just heard, of people who drive Lamborghinis and rent Hummers to try and fit in. 
He says, everyone's looking for a come up, a way to be noticed, and he's rejecting that lifestyle. Super awesome. Ed Sheeran has come to find uh, that people who appear to have it all together are often just as broken as the rest of us. Later in the song, he uh, speaks about people signing prenuptial agreements. I don't know if you know what a prenuptial agreement is, right? But it's the idea that um, when you get married, that you would both sign a contract that the money that you bring into that marriage is the money that you would walk away with if you got divorced. Because what was happening in LA, all through LA, is that people were entering into marriages to be able to rob the other person of money. And he's dismissing that as a way to find acceptance. Ed Sheeran has noticed that the most popular or what he calls beautiful people in life, often spend so much time fighting to maintain their popularity. Ed Sheeran recognises that there is a big problem. So what's wrong with Ed Sheeran's song? Well, what's wrong with Ed Sheeran's song is how hollow his solution is. This is the line that he gives for his solution to um, being unable to experience acceptance being able to, uh, unable to experience true belonging, something that we are all searching for, right? That he lives in this world of LA, that he's rejected, that as he looked around, that people were living to um, impress one another, to um, chase notoriety and acceptance from all these people, and he was saying that it's just a gigantic waste of time to seek belonging and acceptance in that way. So what's the alternative that he offers? He says this, I'm not phased by all them lights and flashing cameras because with my arms around you, there's no need to care. His solution is a dating relationship. So when the world is, um, is a world that you don't find acceptance from, where you don't get true belonging from, the way that you're going to experience acceptance in this world is through a dating relationship. So you might have like gone to university and you didn't get accepted there. Maybe in your family you didn't get accepted there. Maybe at work you didn't get accepted there. Ed Sheeran is saying the only hope for you is in a dating relationship. And that's a problem for over 50% of Australian adults right now who are single. Ed would say, well, there's, I don't really know of any other hope for you. Because the way that I find hope in the midst of an environment that is supposed to be altogether wonderful I didn't find it in that beautiful people lifestyle. I found it in a dating relationship. The problem with uh, Ed Sheeran is that he gives us some tough news, but the greater problem is that he actually gives us some false news, right? That there is a greater hope in how we find belonging that matters. So let's consider Galatians 3. The Apostle Paul writes this letter to the church in Galatia who once accepted the gospel. We love the Bible here, so we always preach from the Bible. This will be a Bible series. We, um, we go to the book of Galatians because it was a people that had accepted the good news of the gospel and they had departed from it. And so he speaks to them about where they get their sense of belonging from. Look down at verse 25. He says, uh, of chapter 3, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, this is excellent, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all in one Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. 
Here's our first takeaway from Paul's writing tonight on how to experience true belonging is that there is a better way to find belonging. There is a better way to find belonging. I love the last line in the last verse of Beautiful People. He says, Inside the world of beautiful people, champagne and rolled up notes, prenups and broken homes, surrounded but still alone. Let's leave the party. Surrounded but still alone. I wonder if that's been your experience before, that you've been in life surrounded by people thinking that that was going to give you belonging, thinking that that was going to give you acceptance, but you still felt all alone. And maybe in a context where the environment that you're in was supposed to give you acceptance and belonging. So um, my announcement is this week I turned 37 years old, right? Yeah, th thanks for that. <laughs> that was meagre, but I will accept it. Um, 37. In the world of technology, that is super old, right? So in the world of technology, I was alive um, before uh, you could get internet on phones. I was alive before phones had text messaging. Does anyone remember that, when you couldn't text message from your phone? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. God bless. <laughs> it was a different time back then, right? I remember when Facebook didn't have um, the, that public place where you could see what everyone else was writing on. You just went to someone's wall and you wrote on that wall. And the only way that you knew if someone was talking to another person is if you went to their wall to find out. And I was there when they added the chat feature, right? So the chat feature like sits on the right-hand bar and it pops up with everyone's name and it shows a green light next to people that are online. I remember that. And it's interesting, like Facebook's mission is to give people the power to build community and bring the world closer together. And they've certainly done that. But I was hanging out with a, a housemate at the time and he said to me, Facebook chat makes me feel more alone than ever. It's like being at a crowded party with all of your friends and family and you're just sitting there and no one is talking. Surrounded but still alone. I don't know if you've ever felt like that on social media, surrounded but still alone. Like maybe you're sitting at home watching that Netflix show that you don't really want to, want to watch because you've reached the bottom of the bin of Netflix shows. And you're, so you're on Instagram and you're flicking through or Facebook or social media or a photo album. And you're looking through and you realize that everyone is living these amazing lives and you're not, and you feel lost and you feel alone. It's interesting, Facebook's whole job is to create a sense of belonging, but even people that fully engage in that space don't feel that true sense of belonging at all. So what are some of the cultural ways, some of the ways that our world has timelessly tried to provide us with a sense of belonging? Cultural race, social status, and power. And here's what Paul has to say to each of those things. Culture and race. There is neither Jew nor Greek in Christ. Social status. In Christ, there is neither slave nor free in Christ. In Christ, power. There is neither male nor female. Now, there is neither Jew nor Greek. What do we know about the Jews? We know that to become a Jew... It wasn't just to accept this belief that God existed. It was actually to change your whole cultural landscape of your life. So what was happening here is that the Jews in Galatians uh, became Christians, but because their lens by which they saw life was to adopt a cultural way of living when you accepted a religion, they were becoming Jewish Christians. So they were forcing Christians to do all this extra stuff. So they did not like the Greeks at all. 
Because the Greeks would enter into this relationship with God and they would have no idea of kind of the cultural norms. And they rejected these Greeks. Paul says that your identity, you don't get your identity through picking up a bunch of habits. Finding acceptance doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way outside of the church and it doesn't work that way inside of the church. Try and find acceptance through culture in the world and you will never grasp it. That's the point of Ed Sheeran's song and it is a good point. If you try and find inside and outside the church true acceptance and belonging through cultural habits, it will never work for you. I remember um, when I was younger, the way that you um, got in in society, in culture, through my cultural lens, was I was watching this fashion show and it said, this summer, every man needs to have a polo shirt in his cupboard and pop the collar, right? That's how old I am. That's how old I am, right? Is that for me to fit in when I was younger, I became the bad guy in every romantic comedy ever. You know the bad guy in a romantic comedy, that, that like the sports jock who wears like a polo shirt and a pop, a pop collar? Back when I was around, that was the cool thing to do. So I would dress this way to get acceptance, but then even culture threw it out because you can't chase culture. You can't chase culture because culture is always moving. Thank the Lord that polo shorts, shirts like that aren't in fashion anymore. But friends, nor do you get your identity through a social status being a slave, nor being a master. Now, to be a slave in Paul's time is very, very different from being a slave today. In Paul's time, if you were a slave, you had some rights. If you were a slave, you got paid. Um, but if you were a slave, you weren't invited to the party, you worked at the party. And so there may be this sense among the slaves that they always wanted to be a master. But Paul says that you don't get your identity through being a slave, but you certainly don't get it if you want to become a master. That slaves always dreamed of this life where maybe they would be a master. But then Paul says to them, when, when you arrive at becoming a master, you're not going to get the sense of true belonging and acceptance that your heart really needs. We know that there are people that are at the top of their game and Ed Sheeran's song is about it. These beautiful people that still haven't found the acceptance and belonging that their heart is truly longing for. You also don't find true belonging and acceptance through power. He says, neither male nor female. A few years ago, I caught up with a pastor from a different church who tried to use this verse to argue that Paul was saying that gender doesn't exist. And Paul was the one who first argued that. He took Paul's words in isolation. There is no uh, male nor female. He thought Paul was blind to gender, social rankings, or cultural background. No, Paul wasn't blind to the reality of these things. He just denied their power as entry tickets into acquiring true acceptance. There is male and female. There was slave and there was a master. There was a Jew and there was a Greek. But none of those things get us true acceptance. And the same thing, same thing is true today. That power and societal rank will never give us the true acceptance that we need. So what kind of acceptance do we need? Look down at verse 29. It says, uh, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs to the promise. Heirs to the promise. 
want to bring our eyes down to uh, Galatians 4, verse 4. And we have seen through this passage that Paul has a real issue with the way that society and a real issue with the way that culture tries to provide us with acceptance and belonging. But what is our offer in return? He speaks of heirs. What does it mean to be an heir? Look down at um, chapter 4, verse 4. And he says this, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Second thing that Paul wants us to see about finding acceptance is that true belonging is is found through the gift of sonship. Through the gift of sonship. Uh, On the wall in my office framed is what we call the big picture of discipleship. It gives, uh, it's giving crystal clear clarity to what it means to grow as a disciple of Christ. And the very first step to becoming a disciple of Christ is to embrace our identity as adopted, loved, and fully accepted children of God. Loved and fully accepted children of God. This image of being included as a family member with God is such a powerful image. In Scripture, God's people are described as servants, but we must serve our master as children in the family. That is totally different from being an employee of a company. Imagine if it said to embrace our identity as an employee of God. I didn't do that well in school, and when I finished school, you had to wait three years um, out of school to be able to apply to be a mature age entry student to university. So for three years, I worked at Subway, When I worked at Subway, uh, in my first shift, I met this awesome woman named Anita. And Anita was one of those um, staff members that everyone loved. She worked heaps hard. She was super talented. She was gifted with uh, customers. She was gifted behind the scenes. Everyone loved Anita. And at that time, um, we were all giving away sneaky discounts to our friends and families, right? It was just something that we did back then, and so we would give out 20% here, 20% there, and all of us did it. But Anita was the one that got caught. And so as an employee, everyone loved her, everyone accepted her, but she was made an example of. So imagine if that was the description of what it means to be in the family of God, that God would just call us employees, so that when we step out of line, if you've had that kind of week where you look back at your performance this week, maybe in a relationship that you're in or the job that you're working in or maybe in your studies or maybe the way that you've treated people. If you're an employee, all of us have dropped the ball. But the book of Romans says that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. The image of being in God's family is so, so incredible. Being in God's family isn't like being an employee at all. You're not accepted based on your resume, and you don't stay accepted based on your performance. This is the good news of Christianity. Here's the good news of Christianity. That we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the gospel, right? You didn't come to a relationship with God by your performance, so you cannot leave by your performance. You came through the door of Jesus Christ's performance, and his performance is perfect. 
that we all live as sinners, all have lived in rebellion from God. But the good news to all of us is that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life so that all of us who call upon his name might be saved into the family of God. We're not saved by our works, we're saved by his finished work. That should change everything about how you find belonging. You don't work to find acceptance, you work knowing that you are already accepted. You don't date to find acceptance, you date knowing that you are already accepted. You don't choose political opinion to find acceptance, you engage in politics knowing that your identity isn't primarily political. Being in the family of God isn't like being an employee. It's also not like being in a club where you have to dress a certain way. And I remember when I was living in Ireland, I went to my first day of school in Ireland when I was in year five, and I didn't have very many friends. And so on the first day, I got picked on at school. And so mum said, go back there and show them what for. And so on the second day of school, I got beaten up. And then so on Friday night, I went to what they call boys club. And I had no friends, and then so I rocked up and I was wearing a Guns N' Roses t-shirt. It's a band that you don't need to ever listen to their music. I ro rocked up wearing this Guns N' Roses t-shirt, and they just all, all these kids in year six just loved Guns N' Roses, and they accepted me because of that. You know how many times I wore that Guns N' Roses t-shirt that year? <laughs> just to protect my safety, so that I wouldn't get beaten up in every day in school. Being accepted into the family of God isn't like being accepted into a club where you need to dress a certain way or, or, or um, style your life in a certain way or look around and just mindlessly copy the, act the activities of other people. When you're included in the family of God, that relationship that we have as family members isn't based on the things that you do. You don't find acceptance because of your style of clothes. You can dress in your clothes knowing that you're already accepted. You don't find acceptance by how hard you train at the gym. You can train at the gym knowing that God has already accepted you regardless of whether you get your summer body or not. You find belonging that truly matters when you accept the free gift of grace and offer by the Lord Jesus, that you accept his forgiveness and allow yourself to be included as a child of God. You might say, um, but that's not what the text says. The text doesn't call us a child of God the text calls us sons, right? You might think that that word in that passage needs to get changed to be child, not sons. But there is something quite beautiful that's going on there that we need to constantly preach to ourselves, constantly remind ourselves of. That in um, Paul's culture and Paul's context, the inheritance of um, the family always went to the firstborn male, right? And so um, in Paul's day, when... Um, someone would pass away, everyone, everyone that was a firstborn son that was getting that inheritance. So when Paul writes this letter to men and to women, he says that as sons in the gospel, men and women, you are able through Christ to receive the full inheritance of the Father. How incredible is that? That the, 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 our Father, the God of the universe, he holds nothing back from us. That he seeks to pour out his whole inheritance upon you. What does that look like? It looks like um, eternity in the future and the present in light of eternity in the future. That we can, 
know that we have this eternal relationship with God, that for those people that are not in right relationship with God, the tragic news is that when they die, that they will experience eternal separation from God. That is what the Bible preaches. The Bible also declares that for sons in the gospel, men and women, you will have this eternal intimacy with God. Eternal intimacy with God. And that eternal reality in the future, you should actually live in light of that eternal reality right now. It should give you confidence right now in everything that you do, knowing that you are truly included, you are truly accepted, and you truly belong in the greatest family, the only family that truly matters in light of eternity. Your confidence should come from your heavenly Father. When I first started, when I was playing drums here and I had my, my boy, you might see that at the end of service, my boy like runs up on stage and starts playing drums. Right? I don't know if you've ever seen that before. He doesn't just start playing drums. He also like, runs around the back and like, he starts me- messing with stuff. And um, people like, have gone to tell him off. And he just points at me because of this perceived power that he thinks that I have to be able to control all things. Right? And trust me, it is perceived power. Right? But it gives him confidence. The truth is is that our Heavenly Father doesn't have perceived power. He has actual power. And the relationship that we have, this word that he's given us, sons of God, means that we can point to him and we can say we can have complete confidence not to get our acceptance and belonging through our groups at university or through our occupation, but we get our belonging from our Heavenly Father. Amen? That should change everything about the way that we live our lives. Everything about the way that we live our lives. Um, let's look down at verse uh, 6. It says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Here's the third powerful truth this passage teaches about finding acceptance. That true belonging is experienced through the gift of the Spirit. Once heard a pastor say that the greatest message of the Old Testament is that it is possible to have a right relationship with God. And the greatest message of the New Testament is that you can experience intimacy too. A relationship with God is an objective fact, right? Whether you feel it or not. That if you've confessed Jesus Christ as Lord... Jesus Christ is your Lord and Saviour, whether you feel it or not, that it is an objective reality for you. But the good news of the New Testament is that through the person of the Holy Spirit, we also get the subjective experience of God in our lives. That we get to experience intimacy with God. Verse 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. What is the significance of this word? Well, Jesus used it to speak to his own father. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. In this moment where Jesus, uh, the night before he got crucified, needed comfort, needed love, needed intimacy, he looked upon his father and said, Abba, Father, The word Abba is a term of intimacy that is still used around the Middle East today as a word of address used by young children to greet their father. 
You might have heard that Abba means daddy, and there is some divide in the theological world over that. The word Abba does appear in legal um, texts of Jewish literature as used by grown children in claiming the inheritance of their deceased father. The word Abba is not so much associated with infancy as it is associated with intimacy. The real difference here is that babies learn words and often have no idea what they mean. But when Jesus, knew the word, when Jesus used the word Abba, he knew exactly what it meant. It meant intimacy. And the same word that Jesus got to use of his father is the same word that is given to us. When you speak to God, it is right to call him creator, right to call him Lord, right to call him my rock, right to call him my redeemer. These words are all true, but it is also right to use the words my father. It's interesting, um, most of you would know that my story of being adopted and you'd know that my adoption isn't something that I struggle with, though I have struggled with many things in my life. I have issues that stretch um, far and wide. What's interesting is as I've met other people, they actually have struggled with their adoption. And as a parent, how do you convince your child that they are accepted, that they are loved, that they are welcomed? Well, you do that by telling them, by reminding them a lot. You do that by um, being in their presence. The Holy Spirit can do something altogether greater than that. That God's word does remind us of our inclusion in God's family. It does speak to us. The Bible also says that God's presence is near. But our heavenly father can do something that our earthly father and our earthly parents cannot. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit lives within inside of us, right? It seals our salvation, but it also dwells within us. The hope of the gospel is actually both objective and subjective. It is your objective position before God, but you actually get to experience God. So how do you experience the reality of your acceptance into the family of God? Well, Paul writes uh, these words um, that echo Galatians. In Romans 8, 14 to 16, he says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, really similar language. But then he inserts this new verse. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And this is a, a marvelous truth for us tonight, right? This is the truth. That when we praise God, when we speak to God, that the Spirit of God encounters us. That the Spirit of God, as we yield to the Spirit, as we don't harden our hearts, but we have become soft to the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit, though He lives in us, that we can resist the Holy Spirit. But when we choose not to resist Him, and we cry out words like, Abba, Father, and we praise Him, and we remember our identity, the word of God promises us that the Holy Spirit will encounter us there. And that's how we're able to experience comfort. That's how we're able to experience peace. Not to pretend that we experience comfort and pretend that we experience peace, but through the Holy Spirit we're able to experience the kind of love and affection and acceptance and belonging that God longs for his people. Uh, I remember... Uh, hearing the story of a mother who got on a plane with a little boy. And 
Um, the little boy was really scared about flying, and throughout the trip, the um, boy wanted food, got food, got drink, and then the turb turbulence happened in the plane, and so the plane jumped right down, and all of that food and all of that drink came right back up, right? And vomit just all over uh, the little boy's top. And he hadn't seen his father in such a long time, right? They were, they were flying to go and meet the father. And um, they, like, pulled in, plane pulled in, and the, the boy came out really embarrassed. All this stuff all over his, face, all over his shirt. And the, um, the dad, taking no notice of his shirt, just dropped to one knee and said, Daddy's little boy, and the kid came running. Right? And as I thought upon that story, I just thought, that's exactly the truth of the gospel. It's that... We have this mess on us through the decisions that we've made through our life, the poor decisions that we've made, the people that we've associated with to get acceptance and get belonging. And God says to you, that's not a reason not to come to me. Come to me for you are my son. You are my son in the gospel, men and women. You're accepted here. And not only does the Father want to comfort you, that he says that he can make you clean again. That the Father doesn't just forget your sin, but he has made a way through the person of Jesus Christ so that you might be included in his family. Jesus Christ paid the penalty that you should have paid so that you might be called a child of God. And I just wonder tonight if we just need to encounter the Holy Spirit again. Not in a crazy way, not in a weird way, in the way that he promised, right? That God promised that when we would praise him, when we would yield to the Holy Spirit, that the great comforter would come. That we would be accepted, the objective reality of being included in the family of God. If we've called upon the name of the Lord Jesus, repented of the sin, you are saved. And how do you experience that belonging? You experience that belonging through the Spirit as you yield to him and praise him with your life. Let me pray. God, I just want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that uh, we are not defined by um, our dating relationships. We are not defined by power rankings, by societal rankings. But our identity is found in you. That we are sons in the gospel. As men and women, we are able to receive the full inheritance that you have set aside for us. That we have a salvation sealed by your spirit. That we are gifted by your spirit. That we are empowered by your spirit. That we are comforted by your spirit. That your spirit reminds us of the truth of the gospel. Your spirit does more than just provide us with emotional healing but your spirit reminds us of the objective truth that we are children of God, and that is our identity. We don't need to get belonging from our workplace, our school, our university, the job we're trying to have. We get our identity knowing that we are children of God, not based on our performance, but based on the performance of the perfect one, Lord Jesus. God, I just pray that as we worship tonight that you would encounter us. You'd be so kind to soften our hearts so that as we worship you that you would remind us of our true identity as children of God. Amen. Amen.